Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Yeah, today's today is a busy day. We are recording on April first, and it is not April Fools. I'm not telling any jokes. It is the God's honest truth that there is actually going to be professional baseball played for opening day of the 2021 season to the point. I don't know if you can hear it, but my text messaging is going off because my counterparts, Todd Callis and Julia Morales, are absolutely elated with the fact that they get to uh, broadcast a game. Now, I temper that a little bit because... And we'll get into this a little bit later because, uh, we, you know, we've got What's on Tap again brought to you by St. Arnold. We've got big news with St. Arnold because we are teaming up with them again. They are sponsoring our podcast for the first couple of episodes of this 2021 baseball season. So make sure you get out to St. Arnold's Beer Garden because if you check their social media on Instagram and on Twitter, you'll see that I have collabed with their chef, Ryan, and his team to put together a baseball style menu for this month of April as baseball starts. And uh, so we are excited about that. We'll talk a little bit about uh, opening day. We've obviously got some March Madness going on. Uh, how about the Astros opening on the road? There's all kinds of, of things going on with that that will break down. Um, how about Mike Trout in the American League West? And this was kind of set up what Tuttle wanted to do is a little bit of an American League West preview. He's got some interesting numbers and maybe an MVP candidate other than Mike Trout. And, of course, the Lindor extension and what it means for Carlos Correa and maybe our opinions on whether or not we feel that Lindor is worth it. But welcome into Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum. And, of course, David Tuttle across the way is repping beautifully with the Bleacher Blums hat and the What'll Tuttle Say t-shirt brought to you by Ram Shirts. And I'm before you tell us how you're doing, Tuttle, tell us there's something special about this episode going on right now as we speak. Yeah, occasionally I'll get a text from Mark if uh, I wear some uh, un, uh, I guess unauthorized <laughs> gear, like when we were going through some he's things. He's watching. The logo. Yeah, he's watching. But uh, Mr. Mark Ramos from Ram Shirts and Crush City Tees is going to be our guest editor for this episode of Nice Bleacher Blums podcast. So I wanted to certainly rep his product here. We got our camo Bleacher Blums hat and then the the matching Woodle Tuttle face yeah. shirt, brother. Woo. Anyway, but uh, yeah, Mark's going to take a, a, a whirl at editing. It sounds like he has some experience with it, which is, you know, a hundred times more experience than I have with <laughs> with yeah, any sort of media. No, I'm just behind the mic here. We talked about last time, uh, you know, we've come a long way in our 110, 111 podcast, but uh, I certainly uh, have a lot of learning to do about editing and sound. And we're going to give Mark a shot at that and uh, see how it goes. So. Yeah, make sure you give us some feedback. You go, you can go to bleacherblums.com, check out some of the swag that Tuttle has on right now. And you can also uh, check out some of the archived episodes, but uh, go to bleacherblums.com, get on that mailbag and let us know how we do, obviously, on a daily basis or a weekly basis, I should say. But how, let us know how Mark is doing. We're kind of excited for him, and it's a unique opportunity for him on the Social Nostra Network, which is where you can watch the video editing that he does. And with that being said, Tuttle, how are you doing? How's your week been? Ah, bummer. The old, uh, how's it going in California? Well, we've had some weather changes and some craziness going on as always, but uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing well, man. I'm, I'm so glad to uh, be able you to kind of keep this going. 
I don't know about that. I, 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 <laughs> you got uh, me fooled. <laughs> I, nah, I'm I'm a pretty good actor, I guess. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, I, I wake up every day. You know, attack the day and uh, have a. I'm I'm pretty have a get after it. That's right. Have a pretty optimistic get after it uh, attitude. Um, right, discipline equals freedom. Get after it. We've heard all these things things before, mm-hmm. but yeah, getting up early. But uh, yeah, I think I was telling you off air today. So the the kids, which is funny get out of school like June 5th or 6th, but they are going to go back full-time April 26th. I think they're going back to school full-time. And you said that's been happening in Texas uh, since August. So there you go. Like old news (laughs) out there. So yeah, I mean, who knew the California would be behind the times? Come on. That's right. Well, (laughs) I mean, we we've said this before. I mean, we kind of know that's one of the fun things about this podcast is doing the Texas, California, you know, kind of political spectrum in terms of baseball and, you know, fans allowed in the stadium, which you already touched on. And we're going to talk about a little bit more, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I would say for the most part, fantastic out here. We are heading towards the uh, stretch run of uh, school and it looks like there's some sort of, I don't know. We keep saying it. I think, do I dare say the N-word normalcy? I don't know. I know, right? Everybody excited, man. Hey, uh, so uh, I did see Biden also, uh, uh, Joe Biden, our president, chimed in on our conversation that we had last week about allowing full capacity at the stadium. Mm -hmm. I didn't read the article. I just saw the headline. He's saying it's a mistake to do it. And you and I thought, hey, use it as a minor league like tool to get everybody in there. Like, Hey, let's see if we can get 40,000 people in on opening day or 50,000. So um, I don't know if you saw that article, but I thought that was interesting. So are the Rangers still or globe life field? I think I got it. This time. Are they still trying to, uh, are they still trying to move forward with that? You know, what is kind of funny about that whole thing? I mean, if there is any, you know, anything funny about politics leaking into to sports and the other way around, but uh uh, it, it did catch a lot of, of, you know, momentum as far as, you know, the political spectrum where everybody stands on the COVID crisis. Obviously, here in Texas, Governor Abbott came out, said no masks if you don't want them. Uh, it's up to the individual ownership and uh, private enterprises out there if they want to enforce that. And then he said, you know, everybody's welcome to go to 100% capacity. And immediately the Rangers jumped on that. Now you got to take into context too the the idea of what the Rangers are trying to do is create a buzz around their ball club because you can't go out there and say hey come watch our team. I feel like I feel like you know if the organization ever sent a message to a group of guys in a clubhouse, it's like hey the pandemic's still going on, but we can have everybody in. Come watch, come check out our field. They didn't say come check out our team. They just said they're going to open it up and create you know buzz in that sense. So. You know, it's kind of on the Texas Rangers for attracting that much attention. Um, to be honest, I don't know if they're actually going to fulfill that uh, prophecy of having 100, uh, 100%. And obviously, Joe Biden doesn't feel that opening things up right now is the right thing to do, even though in Texas, we have opened up vaccinations to everybody since March 29th. And this being April 1st, you know, people are well on their way to being vaccinated, the herd immunity and all the scientific, scientific numbers behind that. But the funny thing is, I did read an article that they played an exhibition game at uh, Globe Life Park Field Barbecue Lid Place, and it it said that they were going to open up to 40,000 fans. Guess what happened? 
Yeah, uh, fourteen thousand people showed up. I don't know. Oh man, like you're paying attention. Yeah, dude. I think <laughs> no, it was I like 12, thirteen thousand. Oh, I just it was twelve thousand, I think, and they were just like, <gasps> so. Yeah, uh, hey, it's wide open. Everybody has anything to worry about. <laughs> well, and I think that was kind of my point, as I said last time. I mean, it really felt like. I don't know why. It's funny. This is just years of experience. It felt like one of those minor league, you know, I mean, we talked about Inoli Canoli last time. It was just funny. Mm -hmm. This little minor league thing that you tweeted about last year. Like it felt like a, a minor league kind of event, right? Hey, we're going to have, you know, like you said, dollar <laughs> yeah. beer night, or we're going to have $2 hot dog night with dollar beers or yeah. yeah. Like a promotional thing. Like, and <laughs> I think you just hit the nail on the head with that by saying, Hey, yeah, it's going to be open up a hundred percent. And they got 20% uh, capacity, uh, you know, at the barbecue with the exhibition. It's like, yeah, you know, and I didn't realize the Rangers were down there. I realized they didn't sign, uh, any big name guys, but it sounds like yeah. they're not, uh, on the, uh, on the forefront to uh, win any league championships uh, soon. No, and you know what's interesting also? I mean, they've, they've got a guy in Joey Gallo that's a lot of fun to watch just because he's one of those, you know, all or nothing types. But um, their their second baseman, Rubnet Odor, they released oh, yeah. him. They, they are oh. paying him $24 million over the next two years to go away. Oh, That might be one of the biggest contract busts in all of baseball. That, that one's yep. pretty historic. He was, he had a couple good years, right? Some all-star years mm -hmm. or something. Was he, yeah, he did I mean, it about five years ago. And then all of a sudden he uh, just imploded and couldn't get over a buck 50 and it just swung uh, incredibly hard every time. Oh, well, I didn't realize that his numbers yeah. actually belied what he's doing. I was saying, but boy, that would be, I would do a lot more podcasts if I was at home for two years, 24 million, <laughs> and, you know, yeah, buddy, you better believe that. Yeah. I'd be like, this is sweet. Yeah. We're, uh, is it mail day today? Oh yeah. Yep. There's my, yeah, it's today the first. <laughs> today the 15th cha -ching. yeah yeah no i mean it, it is interesting and i think this kind of always goes we didn't talk about uh we didn't intend on talking about this but i always thought of the panda when he went to boston and i think mm. we talked about before i thought about scenarios that i could have been in when i got drafted or whatever there's so much to be said about fit and team and confidence and the general manager yeah. and the organization kind of being behind you in a scenario. I'm not saying that that's Odor's challenge. I'm just saying, cause the Panda went back to San Francisco and, and kind of like elevated his play again. Yeah, he kind of went right. back to the type of player he was. And it was like, <clears throat> you know, he was getting older obviously, and he's not the most athletic guy, but he had some fantastic years in San Francisco. Basically in Boston, they considered him a bust, but he got paid. And then he went back to San Francisco and kind of, I don't know, reestablish himself as a major league hitter. And it was kind of like, Oh, mm -hmm. all right. So it must just be, you know, this environment. And I think you would attest to where you went, you know, you talked uh, consistently about towers like Kevin towers and how yeah. um, he, you know, kind of enhanced your career and believed in you. And you just had these genuine conversations as well as managers like, you know, Bud Black and Bochi and guys like this, that, um, you know, that, believed in Blummer, I guess, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, knew that you had a fit in the clubhouse and knew that you had a fit and, you know, your career path could have been different. And, and, and as they all could have been, you could oh, have been man, an all-star yeah. starter every day somewhere, or you could have been, um, you know, I, I just think it's, it kind of gets overlooked and it's not always <laughs> worth talking about because you got to make your own way. But I think uh, that, I mean, I joke always about somebody like Odor sitting at home on his couch, collecting 24 million. Well, I'm sure he wants to be an all-star and I'm sure he wants to play in the big leagues and I'm sure yeah. he's going to work his butt off to try and get back, but it's got to be nice to have that, um, <laughs> that well, cushion behind you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the beauty of baseball. And that's why you hear about NBA players and uh, football players, hockey players, 
um, always saying that they are envious of what the baseball union has done because of the, the fact that you know, when you sign a major league contract and you spend time in the big league, it's a guaranteed contract, yeah. you know, whether, you know, I had a two-year deal with uh, Arizona and I was, I, I got released in the middle of the season at the end of that contract and I still got paid through it. So even from the smallest contract to the biggest contracts, you're getting that guaranteed money. And it is a little bit of a fallback or a safety net for these guys to protect them. But it's just interesting that you get protected from being fired. You know, that's probably the most interesting thing. Because if, you know, you want to be protected from injury, you want to be protected from, you know, certain things that are out of your control. But if you lack production, you still get your money. And that's probably the most interesting thing that other other players in other leagues look at. They're going, if I don't produce, I get fired. I lose my money. So, you know, where's the right. incentive in that? It's kind of interesting. It's a, um, that's a great point. And uh, yeah. I just, the last point there to wrap up is I think, you know, the difference is 81 home games helps versus <laughs> like, you know, now I guess yeah. we're going to have 17 NFL games, but nine home games with revenue and things like that. Don't um, you know, the numbers just aren't the same. So you're right. I mean, we got to give credit to the baseball players association, but also the fact that they play every day and grind it out and, yeah. you know, they, True. they create the revenue. So, you know, they get a little more, uh, I guess, benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. And that kind of opens up to uh, one of the topics that just happened recently was Francisco Lindor. Holy crap. This dude got broke off, man. 10 years, 341 million. And I almost feel like that contract was negotiated on Twitter with uh, the owner of the Mets, uh, Steve Cohen, you know, asking his fan base what they, what they felt this guy was worth. And obviously Francisco Lindor is, is a, an amazing player. A, probably a, well shoot as of right now he's the best shortstop in the league as far as pay pay goes and he's up in the echelon of the Mookie Betts's and the Giancarlo Stanton's and uh Fernando Tatis Jr. I thought it was interesting that Tatis signed for 340 million and then uh Lindor signs for 341 million yeah. to get one million dollars more as far as the contract is concerned but uh, if you go as far as the annual average value of that contract, it's at $34 million, or $34 million a year, which is pretty remarkable in that sense. And that is going to have a trickle-down effect, effect for guys behind him. And most notably, as big as this free agent market's going to be for shortstops, it really has an impact on how the Astros treat Carlos Correa. But I when I first heard it, I was like, oh, damn. I, and I'm always going to be good for him. If you can convince them to sign that contract and get that money, get it. Because we know that earning money in, in uh, sports is, is limited. And these guys have maximi maximized their opportunities to get the money. And they've convinced somebody to pay it. So take the money and run. Great job. But at the same time, I don't know if I would have, I don't know, $341 million is a lot of money for a, for a, a hyper-athletic position. And fortunately for Lindor, he hasn't shown the propensity to be injured uh, the only reason I bring that up is because that's one of the knocks against Correa. Lindor's been to the playoffs. He's been to a World Series. He's got great numbers in the postseason and obviously was having a great spring and convinced a new owner with a new ball club with a ton of money to make him their marquee player. Yeah, I mean, we just talked about the 81 home games. I mean, you have your uh, Arenados and your Trouts and those guys, even Bregman in that category. I know it's not 300 million, but those guys that kind of did the early signs and Mm -hmm. are going to be the cornerstones of your franchise, but there really aren't that many guys in the league like that. And so the 340 or the 341 or the 329, I mean, remember the Padres have their money tied up in three guys, right? Tatis Jr., Machado, and uh, 
who's the other guy that got so i think hosmer was the other guy that has that big contract for the san diego padres but they've got three guys that are getting paid a lot for a long time yeah and i and i just think but when you start breaking it you know breaking it down like you were saying you had mookie Betts and you have trout and you have arenado and you i mean bregman can kind of be in that category and now lindor i mean there's probably 20 guys or 30 guys in the league that everybody knows are the cornerstones of your franchise and those guys are going to get paid and i think that's more I don't know. I mean, maybe we're saying the same thing in a different way. I always think that's more indicative of the contract, not, Hey, it's 340, 341. I always go back to the Ricky Henderson days mm-hmm. when Ricky Henderson, you know, he was the best player in the league and he wanted to get paid. And I think you mentioned last podcast that he started hitting home runs and doing things to kind of make it more uh, contract friendly. But I remember he signed either with the A's or the Yankees and it was like a three year, I don't know, $18 million deal. And the next year mm-hmm. somebody signed more right away. Like, you know, or it was maybe it was three or 12 million. So he's making yeah. 4 million a year. And the next year somebody signed a $15 million deal. And Ricky was upset. Like Ricky, that ain't <laughs> fair. Ricky, the best player, Ricky got to be paid like the best. And it's like, well, Ricky, you negotiated it last year mm-hmm. and you signed a longer term deal. But I mean, I think I bring contracts back to ego. I mean, there's plenty of money for these guys, especially the oh, yeah. top 50 players. So it doesn't come down to whether, you know, Barry Bonds is making a hundred thousand, you know, dollars more per year, you know, per year than you. It comes down to is Barry Bonds better than you? All right, I got to get paid a little less than you, you know, than he mm-hmm. is. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Who's, you know, who's who's, who's puffing their chest more? out? That's yeah. right. I think no, so. Gary, don't Gary you? Cole you were in the locker the- room. Oh, dude, these yeah. guys love it. Are you kidding me? Garrett Cole puffing his chest out going, I'm getting paid more than Verlander or Granke, you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And then, yeah. you know, uh, Carlos Lee was with the Astros. He signed their first $100 million deal with the Astros that they've ever given out. So he was, you know, he was big and proud about what was going on with that. But yeah, there is a little yeah. bit of ego involved. And there's yeah. even, there's clauses in contracts that I've heard, maybe it was in the NFL or the NBA where there was an actual clause. And I guess the NBA is a little bit limited. Right. As far as the top tier guys, there's a certain limit that they can get to and max out their contracts. But uh, I believe it was in the NFL where they go position by position and guys will write in their contracts that say, I am, you know, this is what I'm signing for now. But throughout the length of my contract, as long as I'm healthy and on the field, I will be the top paid left tackle. You know, and, if, and as soon as a left tackle signs a contract more than what you're worth, guess what? You get a bump. And so there's, there's a lot of contracts like that around uh, other leagues. I haven't heard about too many of those in baseball. Yeah. Well, and I think that goes back to the variance with uh, guaranteed money versus, you mm-hmm. know, if you know you're getting so, guaranteed money, whereas in the NFL, they can release you the next year. And it's almost like the, uh, <laughs> the franchise tag, right? Like, Hey, oh, if I'm yeah. your best left tackle or the best left tackle in the league, I get a bump this year in my contract that, you know, kind of makes up the difference. So, but, you know, again, we're not contract experts, <laughs> but, but I think, uh, I think, I guess I was going to switch a discussion in that I don't know if it's whether Lindor is worth that amount of money. It's that mm-hmm. he's a free agent at the right time in the right place to kind of, you know, with a new ownership group in, in, in New York and they want to show mm-hmm. good faith and that they're doing what other organizations are doing. You know, I'm sure Lindor would have been happy with 320 million, but uh, three, 341 was the number and, uh, and they got it done. And I think hopefully with new ownership and and the Mets kind of moving in the right direction, having the rookie of the year there, um, the first baseman and a couple other guys that, you know, and they've got Cy Young winners over there. And you yeah, know, the they've got staff. And when Syndergaard comes back, I mean, they're going to be a potent team 
Yeah. Uh, and you're right. You know, Pete Alonso is really good. They've got Dominic yeah. Smith out there and left. Uh, I believe yeah. He's playing so you got field. Smith, Alonso, so, yeah. Lindor, and now, a, you know, a good pitching staff. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, that that's, we've talked about it, but I mean, that, that's yeah. how you build a team. So give them a year or two and see where they are, you yeah. know? And, uh, and I, I would agree. I think that they're doing the right thing. So whether, you know, what do they always say about real estate, right? Like, you know, your house is worth <laughs> what somebody will pay for it. Like, Oh, I mean, is Lindor worth 341 million? I don't know, but guess what? He got paid 341 million. So he's yep. the $341 million player. <clears throat> yep. And that's, that's going to have an effect on guys behind him because Carlos Correa, Carlos Correa is a free agent at the end of the year, Trevor story, Javier Baez, uh, Corey Seager, you know, a couple of those guys, maybe not in the realm of a Carlos Correa or a Francis or a Francisco Lindor, but this obviously boosts that market and will create some concern. But again, a 20, I think he's 27 year old player getting a 10 year contract. It, you know, as long as you don't get into that 40 year old range or you can stay as far as close to 35 as you can, I think it, it could be a decent contract, you know, to expect that guy to produce for that long. Well, what about Correa? So Correa is 26 and I know his free mm-hmm. agency year is next year, but I'm sure they're working hard behind the scenes. I mean, I haven't followed yes. the Houston paper, but you and I've talked about a little bit. I mean, what are the, what is, what is the likelihood that you think he signs like in the next two months here, um, a long-term deal, or are they just going to wait till the end of the year? I mean, has that been established? I don't know. You know, the long-term deal I think is a little bit concerning. I'm not sure how Jim feels about that. Cause I don't think he's been in this position to sign a guy for a 10 year contract at this, at this kind of money. You know, he's got, uh, he got, he got a great deal on Jose Altuve. He got a great deal on Alex Bregman. He got to sign Justin Verlander to a short-term deal. He's finishing off Zach Granke's contract. So as far as, you know, the size of contracts that Jim Crane and James Click have had to work with, they haven't done anything in this, you know, this vast of a size of volume. Yeah, stratosphere. You can yeah. say stratosphere. It's an it is different. You're right. Yeah. You know, this stratosphere they're in as far as negotiating. And I think Carlos Correa, you know, one of your fears is, is that Carlos Correa goes out there and does put up 30 home runs, does drive in 110. And you don't have that contract in place. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, this guy is worth 34 million a year. And he's going to go find it maybe on the open market. I'm not sure where or who has the money left to do that. You know, the Dodgers might expect to sign back Corey Seager and they'll give him a pretty penny to be able to do that. Uh, Do the Yankees take a run at Carlos Correa, even with some of that bitterness over the 2017-19 seasons uh, and, and do that? But those are the big market teams that you think about. Boston Red Sox are going to come into that fold, you know, here in the next couple of years. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a true test of, of what Jim Crane wants to do with the Astros and how he feels about Carlos Correa. And again, James Click ultimately is the guy who has to negotiate and figure out that contract and find that worth that is, that is valuable to the Astros and convincing enough to get Carlos Correa to sign back. But that being said, the number is very large for Carlos Correa because he has comparable numbers to Lindor, even though he hasn't been on the field as much. And that's probably the one thing is the potential of Carlos Correa for 140 games is much, I would say is a little bit greater than Lindor. Yeah. And I think, I also think just to add to that is that you, you, I mean, this is what the contracts and the negotiations are all about. You are, playing a little bit with fire. Like you said, if he has a Mm -hmm. fantastic year and you know, his numbers kind of bear that out, that he's fairly consistent and confident (laughs) that, you know, when you start bringing in the Red Sox and some other teams, maybe the Dodgers, as you said, if there's not, you know, I mean, we act like there's bitterness, but 
when it comes down to being able to sign a like a guy like that, if Seager's going to leave in LA or something like that, mm-hmm. then you know maybe maybe he is the next guy, and they do have the funds to do it. So I, 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 that's what I was thinking is if they could come up with a number, you know, like two hundred and twenty or two hundred fifty million dollars, and like you said, Over he's twenty six. Yeah, over a few less years, like eight years, $250 million to stay where you are and keep your family happy. And, you know, we got mm-hmm. Altuve still signed. I mean, it, it's worth the, the, the conversation at this point. But, uh, but like you said, you're bringing some other things into the fold. And honestly, none of us know whether Carlos would sign for that anyway. Maybe he would just <laughs> hold out to get $342 million, like you said. Yeah. Well, is he, is he looking for max annual value or is he looking for max length? You know, that's ultimately what I think the two, two, two ideas you have to toss around. Right. And I always love the Bobby Bonilla thing. Like, give me, give me deferrals, you know, eight years for two fifty with like a $25 million deferral in there, something like Mm -hmm. that for annual 1 million for, you know, something I mean, we're, we're talking about money that doesn't really, I mean, it ludicrous. Yeah. It's like yeah, space like, balls when they, when they do, go fast enough to go plaid. I mean, these guys are going right. plaid with their paychecks. So what does it matter if you defer <laughs> money or tax, like, you know, tax shelter, like anyway, it doesn't yeah. matter. But uh, anyway, for the Houston Astros fans out there, it'll be interesting to see because we know Jim Crane, uh, uh, like you said, hasn't dealt with this before. And then James click honestly has a different kind of economic mindset. You know, he's kind of good call. Um, yeah, a little money ball, if you want to say a mm-hmm. modern money ball uh, master there, GM. So we'll, we'll, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see like everybody else. Yep. And it will be very interesting. And he said a hard date is today, April 1st, that oh. he will not be negotiating. But you know as well as I do, agents and teams will talk throughout the course of the year until they get to a number they like. Then you call Carlos and go, hey, we got it. And everybody's happy. But uh, everybody's happy about opening day. Opening day is a glorious day. Are you as excited as I am? And there's a couple of things I'm going to peel back on this, but opening day feels a little bit different this year because we really didn't have an opening day last year. We're basically two years removed from a legitimate opening day and the hope of playing 162 games. Are you excited, Tuttle? I am excited. I will say, I I don't think I'm as excited as you are. You mentioned TK and Julie, like you guys are actually getting to go to work this year and you're, you know, there's some normalcy. I know you're doing it from the studio, but man, it's exciting for you. I, you know, I usually take a little, since I stopped playing, I usually take a little time to get into the excitement, you know, probably, you know, know how long the season is. (laughs) It's a long season, but I do remember, and this is funny where you and I are similar age, but you know, when the Reds Mm -hmm. always had the first game, you know, the Reds at noon on opening day is always like, Ooh, yeah. I remember the the Cincinnati red legs are on TV. No, they were always something about rolling out of bed and just going click in a ball game being on. You're right. I forgot about that. That was awesome. So, so there is some excitement. I think it's a little tempered today because like you said, last year, we didn't have it. We, you know, we don't know how many fans are going to be in there. I I mentioned March madness last week where not having fans in there kind of changes the dynamic and not being in Vegas, like watching the games, you know, and having the, (laughs) Mm. the hubbub. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't see how you can't be excited about the opening day of baseball season when uh, when last year was um, such a such an unusual year in so many ways. But uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I think, like I said, maybe not so much for opening day specifically, but that the baseball season is now underway. Yeah, I'm excited for opening day just in the sense that it is a normal opening day and it's heading towards a normal season. The one thing I am not happy about and that kind of, you know, full disclosure, just kind of was a buzzkill is knowing that we're going to do opening day from the studio 
dude, your hair is epic. Yeah, Holy it's cow. looking pretty good today. Yeah. Hey, this I is mean, what happens when you wake up and put on the yeah, your hair did the CrossFit wad today. <laughs> yeah, a day off today, but yeah, if you can't see, yeah, if you're listening to this on audio, Ooh. there's some serious elevation from uh, <laughs> from Tuttle's hair. Threw you and I off. have like similar hair, like you said, you got cleaned up last week. I don't have to be on well, TV. I got tightened tonight, up on so. the sides, but the sprouting yeah. on the top is a, can be a little extreme at times. And I'm yeah. I'm glad you've got the flow going. Yeah. Um, well, you you have to be on television tonight. I do not. Yeah. So, true. Thankfully. Yeah. I just for have three, to be on the social Nostra network. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be wearing uh, makeup tonight. That's what you're oh, most yeah. excited about is wearing makeup. Yes. Yep. So I've got a brand new I've got a brand new makeup kit. I can't wait to snap open and brush on today. <laughs> so, damn it, you're telling all my secrets, man. Yeah, I wear makeup, and I I, I, sh- I borrow makeup wipes from my daughters every once in a while. I'm not going to be ashamed of that. Because HD cameras in that damn studio are free, pretty freaking clear, um, right. but we're going to be in studio, and I don't anticipate being on the road for anytime soon. I know that things are kind of trending in that direction, but I, I'm, I'm a complete pessimist when it comes to certain entities actually getting us on the road, uh, whether it be via you know vaccinations or herd immunities or whatever they're talking about. But uh, yeah. I, we are in studio for road games. So that's why my opening day fervor is tempered a little bit because I, as excited as I am, I get to show up to a boring, dark sound stage and call a game at 9 p.m. Uh, so I'm not going to get home until tomorrow morning after this game's played tonight. And that's what's kind of interesting about being in the Central, calling games on the West Coast. It's going to be a little bit tough, and I'm probably going to take a nap after this game or after this podcast. Um, but the interesting thing for me with the Astros opening on the road, you know, it's, it, you have to kind of pace yourself as far as the excitement, because when you open at Minute Maid Park with fans, completely different deal. And that'll probably be the next time we do a podcast, but that'll be a lot of fun to have. But I'm curious to, you know, I kind of feel the Astros opening on the road in Oakland, hostile environment. Granted, the crowd will be minimal, so you'll be able to hear everything that they're saying, even if the drums try to drown them out. I think it's going to be very interesting to see the Astros get a taste of what might be coming their way as far as the anger and vitriol from opposing fans in a um, American League West rival city. Are you anticipating that at all? You know, I think last year we certainly talked about it a lot with the controversy, the trash can controversy and what the fans would do. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden there were no fans and it was like, oh, the Astros got off the hook. Um you know, it really depends on how many fans. I have a feeling as as few fans as they'll let in in Oakland. You know, Oakland's kind of the hot spot there, right near Sacramento, where our lovely yep. governor sits. But uh, <laughs> but there, the, somehow those drummers are going to make it into the stadium. So I have yeah, a feeling gonna they're hear- definitely going to be a part of that crowd they let in for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. So we're going to be able to hear the drums loud and clear, and then who knows <sighs> how many seagulls are going to get in there. But uh, and the vuvuzuelas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be crazy, but, uh, you know, I, I think some of the best fans are the ones that have the uh, memory like an elephant, and I have a feeling that uh, <laughs> those guys will, they'll take a little heat for uh, for probably, you know, indiscretions from two, three, four years ago, um, but, uh, but it'll be interesting. I, I don't think, we've said this a, a million times, I mean, as a competitor, you know, you like being challenged you like having Mm. some adversity and honestly these guys have played so long uh and so well with uh you know getting yourself to the big leagues that you learn to block stuff out so i don't think i don't think a minimal crowd 
you know, now if we're talking about 50,000 people in Oakland uh, and full beer concessions and, you know, oh, everything, I, I, yeah. So if we get to that point during the year, then we're going to have a different conversation about it. But I don't <laughs> think, I think it'll be nice. I actually think all both teams, uh, regardless of some of the heat that they take uh, on the road, both teams will enjoy having some people in the stadium tonight and, uh, and getting it yeah. going, I'm sure. No, I completely agree. And I think, you, you know, you really hit on something that a lot of people may not understand is, you know, when you go on the road, you anticipate them to hate you anyways, and you're anticipating getting, you know, jabbed at verbally or, uh, you know, assaulted verbally. And so you're kind of, you're already mentally prepared for it. And they're so they're, they're a year and a half removed from the whole situation. So maybe they're just a little like over it, maybe when they're going to, people are going to say stuff and they're going to be like, whatever. But there's yeah. nothing greater as an opposing athlete wearing a gray uniform in that stadium and doing something that silences that yes. opposing crowd. There will be some motivation from from that hate, I believe, for some of those guys on that Astros team. It was a great call. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we always use that. Gosh, you know, you're bringing up uh, memories, though, uh, in the minor leagues in A-ball. We had a guy who was really a fantastic ragger. He was probably the best. He was on. <laughs> he was our minor league had some our- of the best of them, man. Yeah, at our home in Charleston, West Virginia, they were great. He that was where I started a ball in the South Atlantic League, and he would go back to like their yearbooks, like high school kids' yearbooks, and he'd be like, you know, like whatever. This what is was before your the high, internet. Yeah, what was your high school mascot though? What was like Chino Hills High School Cowboy? Like, no, Chino okay, Cowboys. Like, yeah, yeah. So the cow, hey cowboy, like hey Mister Cowboy, where are your spurs? <laughs> like he would just pull up like. How was Chino Hills in 1978? Like he, oh, like he had some great, yeah, it was so funny. So you'd come on the road as a minor league guy, but you'd, you'd see guys step out of the box and just snicker. Like, what is this guy ragging me <laughs> like for? He got so, me. <laughs> so, yeah, he got me, but he would get a lot of people. So, you know, again, different at the major league level, you block things out. The, the fans are a little bit further yes. away, but uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, you expect people to say things to you when you're on the road, just because you're wearing the opposing Jersey. It has Mm -hmm. nothing to do with trash cans. It has nothing to do with Oakland. It has nothing to do with this. It has a lot to do with the fact that, Hey, we're Oakland fans short for fanatic. And we are going to rag the Astros, the Mariners, the angels when they walk into our park. So I think it'll be a welcome, uh, a welcome site for the A's as well. Like, Hey, our fans are back in. And then obviously uh, a welcome site for the Astros tonight in, uh, in yeah. the Coliseum. So let, let's stay in the American league West a little bit. Cause there was an article that came out today with Mike Trout uh, talking about, you know, being loyal to the, to uh, the angels signing that big contract, not going into free agency and maybe trying to sign with a more competitive team as far as getting to a, to a postseason. And I, you know, I think the last time the Angels were in a postseason was around 2014-15. And so there's been a little bit of a lull in that time that Mike Trout has been in the top three in MVP voting over his 10 years in the big leagues. Uh, you know, so there's a conversation going on that now is the time for them. And if you look at the Pocota uh, projections on baseball prospectus in the American League West, it has the Astros winning the West with 90 wins. Uh, averaging close or just over five and a half runs a game. And then in second place, not the Oakland A's it is actually the, the uh, Los Angeles, I almost called them Anaheim again, the Los Angeles angels in that second spot who expect to be contending for this uh, American league West title. And I think it's kind of interesting how their spring has gone because Justin Upton is a guy who has really stepped up and had a great spring and lost some weight in better shape looks to have an impact in their lineup. And then Shohei Otani, 
I am fired up. I'm just going to say this right now. This might be the first time I say it until they play him, but I'm fired up to watch what he can do. And I like the fact that Joe Madden has actually allowed him to pitch and play a designated hitter or whatever it is, or hit for himself, I guess, if, if that's really yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's not is, designated. Yeah. You're hitting in the lineup. So, you're going to hit fourth and pitch. You're like, wait a second. Is yeah. this high school? <laughs> Dude, I love that, though. I mean, yeah. he's good enough to do it, and he went out in spring and did it a couple of times. And I've got to be honest, for the game of baseball, I think it's great. For the Angels, I think it's even better. And I think it's awesome for Shohei Otani to finally get the governor taken off and see what he can do. I don't know how long he can do it or how many starts they're expecting to get out of him. But if you can get 20 starts out of that guy and have him be your designated hitter on those other days and contribute offensively also, that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. But I know that you've got some thoughts and an interesting idea uh, for who might be the actual MVP of the entire American League, too. Well, they're not my thoughts. I stole them from Keith Law and the Athletic, but I will. I will just. But it triggered you know, so, something in you, so I, yeah, I like it for sure. And I want to go back to this uh, Shohei Otani. Um, he kind of mm-hmm. gets overlooked again. We talk about yeah. longevity and health with guys. I mean, he had Tommy John right after he got to the big leagues, and it's kind of been eighteen months. And then we had COVID, and but I mean, he. So you had Rendon and Trout and Otani and, you know, I mean, I think the Angels shortcoming right now is pitching. You know, everybody wanted a little more yes. of a frontline You're starter. Right. That could be their, their, um, their challenge or something that they, they're going to have to uh, see how it looks throughout the year. But man, I mean, their lineup's going to be formidable. And I think, I, I mean, I'm not in the clubhouse. I'm certainly not a scout, but uh, I'll have to pay more attention to this. A guy like that who can start, why would you start him every fifth day? It would be so great to have Shohei Otani being like your setup guy, like the seventh or eighth inning is his, you know, then he's on in the game. He's already in the lineup and then you have him through the rest of the game. If he throws, then he can, you know, I I don't know how that works. I guess if he came out as a pitcher, if you put him in that pitcher spot, you'd lose the DH. Yeah. So, but as I mean, what's wrong? Pitching, if, it doesn't yeah, matter. If he's throwing 95, 96, like, I don't know, sometimes. So it would be interesting to see how that dynamic would be because yeah. then you're ready every day and you have that talent. But back to your point, uh, I think uh, Keith Law wrote an article for The Athletic. It was fantastic. It predicted the whole uh, season. I think mm-hmm. he had the Yankees over the Dodgers in the World Series. But boy, Yankees, Dodgers, World Series would be something to yeah. behold. I'd go um, back to did, our childhood. There you go. That's right. But the uh, but the the American League West you brought up. So he has the Astros winning it, the Angels in okay. second, um, A's, and then Mariners. You know, as you see fit in there. Um, and I guess the Rangers are bringing up the uh, the rear. Are the Rangers in there? Or they're in the Central, aren't they? No, so they're, in the our, they're in the no, they're in the uh, West. Yeah. So it is the five. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yep. They are the so five. he ha- even though yeah, they play in South Oklahoma. The yeah, they're still in. <laughs> I, I don't ever get the American League West. So I thought he had five teams in there. He does. So he has Astros. Mm-hmm. But he said, you know, typically they're winning 100 games every year. This year it's going to be close at the top, Astros, Angels. But yes. he said, you know, just to be a, a contrarian, which, you know, I love contrarian. It did trigger something in me. He said, Trout will not be your MVP of the American League West. He said that Rendon will be your American League MVP. Ooh. And I thought that was pretty good. And, I, you know, you start looking I, at the team call. already. I listed them off. You have Otani and you have Trout and you have Rendon and, you know, people are going to be cautious with Trout. Man, we always said that before with Jeff mm-hmm. Kent and Barry Bonds. I mean, Jeff Kent was a better player because he hit behind Barry Bonds. And, and I great, think having great Rendon example. in that same position is a perfect, uh, a perfect spot for that. So 
Uh, we'll have to see if Keith Law's predictions come to play into play. And oh, I, I know I was going to say, as Keith Law said, every time he writes the article like that every year to predict it all out, he gets tons of vitriol. Like, <laughs> what about our Mariners? Our Mariners are young. And he's like, no, 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 this is just my opinion. So yeah. I'm using his opinion. One. That's right. I'm using his opinion to share my opinion to say, mm -hmm. you know what? He, he says Rendon, a little bit contrarian, but he says it's going to be a tight race between the Angels and the, the uh, Astros. Um, but it will be a team that's mascots letter starts with an A that wins the American League West, right? So it's going to be Astros. Oh, Angels, look at that. No, Bold. Kidding, that <laughs> Bold yeah. prediction hey. right there. Yeah. Right Tuttle, who do you got for the American League West? Well, I can't really say, but a team that has a mascot starting with the letter A will win the American League West. It won't be Golden. an M or an R. So there you go. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, so I thought that was cool. And uh, and that means it's going to be, a, it's the Astros are still the favorite, which I pulled out of yeah. that. Um, and I think, you know, we touch on on this podcast, they still have kind of the most pitching depth, even though they don't have a ton mm -hmm. of pitching. Uh, they have the most pitching depth and uh, and they still have that solid lineup with Altuve and Correa and Bregman always and, and uh, Brantley can't forget him. So, yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I living on the third coast here or the left coast is not I'm not as high on the Astros as I have been, mm -hmm. even though I follow them closely. And I don't know. It'll be interesting. Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. And, no, and I know. I'm just wondering too. if, I mean, they have the, the core group, but like you said, mm -hmm. the, the spring training uh, didn't go as well as, yeah. uh, as expected. And, you know, they got some injuries and some cleanup and, you know, I think yeah. their experience will help see them through. But uh, what say you, are you as high on the Astros as you've been, or have you been in the clubhouse or I know you've been in the clubhouse, but you've been around them this spring. Mm -hmm. What's, are they confident as ever? I think, I think they're very confident. I think they do realize that there's an opportunity with a full season for them to get back into the American League West. Uh, you know, last season, they didn't really get their legs under them until the postseason started. So I think that the last year was kind of a wash for these guys, and they're excited about playing a full season because I think the full season will expose who the better team is because of depth like you're talking about. The biggest knock against the Angels over the last, I want to say, five, six years has been that starting rotation, their bullpen, and the depth. Once a guy goes down, they don't have anybody that can really come in and replace him or put a, you know, put a Band-Aid on the situation until, you know, the guy who goes on the injury list is healthy and comes back. Um, but they're going to score a ton of runs. I think the issue is going to be them giving up the runs and giving up the runs late too, because their bullpen has been weak in the past. I don't know if they made, you know, enough adjustments in that bullpen for me to go, oh, okay, that they, they, they've turned the corner. I still right. think it's kind of a patchwork situation, but at the same time, the Astros have a good rotation, but once you get past those five guys, how, how long is until Fromber comes back? You know, yeah. that's a big question. And then they didn't go out and sign that closer, you know, that Liam Hendricks type to go out there and really be that lockdown, shutdown closer. But it doesn't mean that they can't find that guy in a Ryan Presley or when Pedro Baez is off the COVID list and he can get back in there. Maybe he becomes that guy or they just play matchups the rest of the way to yeah. create a way to close games. But Having Jordan Alvarez get back in that lineup means that, that the Astros are going to score a ton of runs. But it is going to be very, very tight in the West. But I have the Astros winning. Nice. And I and I like what you just said about Jordan. I forgot about him because you put Jordan with Brantley and Bregman and, oh. and Altuve and Correa. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, hey. Their first seven guys in their lineup are legit. Yeah, they're legit. So they will score some runs. The other thing I think that you already pointed out, I think the difference between 85 and 90 wins <clears throat> versus like 92 and 100 wins is exactly what you said. It's that bridge because Presley did a mm -hmm. fine job as a closer last year. You have Baez in there. 
but you know they always had like the will harris's and the guys like that in there Good call. and it was kind of like almost like journeyman type like piecemeal so if your starter goes five or six those guys were solid for a while but I, that's that's where for me that's kind of the one hole and if you're starting to lose games there give up runs there the game gets tied before you actually get to the closer um you know they're gonna have to as you said it's almost it's such a small area, you know, it's like, ah, the seventh, eighth inning, but that's mm -hmm. the crucial time of the game. And I think that if they can nail that down with somebody either from within or somebody from, you know, that they bring in, I think that's where, I think that's where the difference is between 82 yeah. and 92 games, you know, to win. And it just depends on how that, that, that flips that little area right there. Yeah. Well, it's easy to point to, you know, the all-star closer or the all-star starter, but you're right. I think a lot of teams rely on those guys, those bridge guys that get you from the sixth inning to the ninth inning to be able to close those games out. And those are maybe some more of the unsung heroes of the guys who don't really, I don't want to say get disrespected, but they don't get the contracts or the notoriety that a lot of frontline guys get, but they're still some of the most important and reliable guys that you need to be able to create an opportunity to get to the back end, to be able to win those games, which is huge. And they had it, you know, when they were winning 107 yes, games, 105 games, agree. those guys were solid. Like Presley was your setup guy and you had a closer behind him or you had, and now mm -hmm. he's moved into that role, similar to the old like wetland in uh, Rivera thing. I mean, eventually yeah. those guys yeah. do get notoriety. Look at the Royals and the Indians. I mean, oh, they're gosh, setup yeah. guys, they're, they're seventh Jeez. and eighth inning guys. That's how they got to the World Series. They were Series, interchangeable, you know? man. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It didn't matter if you brought the guy in the eighth inning, he's throwing 98 and you can't, you know, you can't <laughs> hit him. Then that's a, that's a, a form of a closer. So, you know, just from afar, like I said, you get into the numbers, you get to see them on a daily basis. I haven't really paid attention during spring training just from standing, you know, 30,000 foot view. It's that seventh and eighth inning for the Astros right now. That's a question mark for me that makes the big difference in the end. Mm -hmm. And and I have the same question mark for the Astros. I'm sorry for the uh, Angels. So that's the other thing. Yeah. Is, and they have less less depth in their lineup, but also less depth in their pitching rotation. And so I think that's how all this lays out, right? You look at the depth yeah. in the lineups and you're like, look, the Astros are still the better team. Angels are right behind them. A's could be in the mix, even though they lost some of their back end bullpen guys and they're sticking with the money ball theory. So I think we're on the same page. I just, you know, it can turn positively or it can turn negatively. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's why we play 162 games. we got to shake it all out. You're absolutely right. And speaking of shaking it all out and having that kind of support, you know, Bleacher Blums has been happy to have a sponsor in Podcorn. Now, if you go to podcorn.com and you're running a podcast and you're looking for sponsorships, this is a phenomenal place to go. I actually surf this site quite a bit just to help out in what Tuttle and I are trying to do right here on Bleacher Blums. And Podcorn has had unbelievable support uh, in, in connecting us with other sponsors. I actually found Fabletics through them and created that contact through podcorn.com. So if you are a young podcaster or if you're a veteran podcaster, don't be afraid to get on podcorn.com and go out there and search and investigate and try and negotiate a little bit of a sponsorship deal out there. There's plenty of them on Podcorn. I just got an email the other day from their support group that said that 15 new sponsors have inquired on Podcorn. So the sponsors will be on there looking to support some of these podcasts in order to create advertising opportunities. So it has been very beneficial for the Bleacher Blums podcast. We are grateful for the Podcorn efforts that they are putting out there. So make sure you go to podcorn.com and every once in a while I get to send Tuttle some cash from the, some of the money that we uh, get from these uh, sponsored advertisements through Podcorn. 
Thank you, Blummer, for that. Podcorn's a fantastic sponsor for us, and they've helped us actually acquire some of the sponsors that we've been getting for the podcast. Um, I was looking at some notes here uh, about uh, April Fool's Day because uh, that's where <laughs> I want to go with what'll Tuttle say today. And I wanted to mm-hmm. ask you if you had any fond memories of uh, of April Fool's Day. So today is April 1st, as we mentioned, it's opening day for uh, baseball, but it is also April Fool's Day. And in typical what'll Tuttle uh, say fashion, the get off my lawn guy will say, um, what the hell is April Fool's? Like, do you can't pull a <laughs> trick on... I mean, could you imagine pulling a really good prank on your wife? Like, no, 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 really. The house is flooding or something like that. You would just, mm-hmm. you'd be banished to the uh, to the basement for the rest <laughs> of the year. So uh, I was looking up some of the origin origins, but uh, I'm just wondering, cool. you know, obviously in baseball, uh, pranks and jokes were uh, abound aplenty, but uh, I'm just not a big fan of April Fool's Day. And the main reason is because the repercussions from pulling a good prank are <laughs> not great. And I will just give you another a little uh, side note. So today they always post our workout. I did not work out today, by the way, but our gym posts the workout the night before. And uh, our coach posted like, tomorrow a thousand burpees 3000 double under like and somebody just wrote back like oh yeah nice april fools like you know just some yeah Mm -hmm. some ungodly uh some ungodly uh uh workout so blummer any uh pranks that you want to share from april fool's day maybe back in the day which might be funny or worthwhile and then your thoughts now uh being a married man and a father of four how april fools jokes would fly in your house Uh, because it's not a tradition here and my wife is like we're not doing like April Fool's stuff. It doesn't work. You know, yeah. you get buddies like calling you go, oh yeah, there was a horrific accident. And you're like, really? And you know, like it gets a little too dark. Oh dude, it, yeah, it can get dark. And, and the one of the more unfortunate, I don't know if it's unfortunate, but I'm very trustworthy. So I believe a lot what people <laughs> say. So I get kind of sucked into some of these situations at times. And, you know, cause I'm, I'm like, I'm like you in the sense that I kind of, you know, I see the best in everybody and I'm like, why would they take advantage of that? You know, and then all of a sudden I get burned on, you know, some of these pranks or, you know, uh, April Fool's days. But, you know, in a, in a house full of women, I learned early on that pulling pranks is probably not the best idea because there can be some repercussions like Tuttle is talking about and not just in that day, but for years to come. Uh, but I, I know for a fact, you know, I've been traded three times in baseball. So I, you know, what the easiest one for me, and I tried it one time, it was years ago, but I call you know, call my wife or I send my wife a text. And this is before Twitter that you could actually verify yes. some of this stuff. So I'd be like, babe, man, I can't, I, I, I'm like this, you're not going to believe what just happened. Yeah. You know, I got traded. Got traded to- yeah. And it would be someplace that I know she would never want to be traded to. And I, you know, I said that, you know, I'm like getting traded to Milwaukee and she would be like, well, have a good season. I'm not coming to any games. And I'm like, damn, yeah. <laughs> wow. That was, that was a pretty quick yeah. response. You know, I'm like, damn. So it, you know, I learned early on not to mess with her, but yeah. you know, I've, I've heard and stories. the April Fool's joke ended up being on you at that point. Yeah. You're like, She's not coming to, Wait a second. I, like, I got oh, burned. Sh- wait, she's not coming to visit me and the kids are staying home. Like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. So I, I try and avoid that, but uh, you know, there's always been like the lineup card where it'll have, you know, just as an example, you know, maybe they put me in the leadoff spot, you know, and everybody's going, wait, what, you know, so that it's kind of funny when they do that hey, sometimes. They put their speed at the top of the lineup. Wait a second. <laughs> hey, uh, so, so I did out. bring it up for a reason. So in 1985, George Plimpton wrote an article in sports illustrated 
that was probably one of the best articles ever written about Sid Finch. Do you remember Sid Finch? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was an, that originated as an April fool's article. Oh, and wow. he wrote okay. this article about this guy from, you know, six yeah, foot seven. Mystery six guy. Foot, you know, yeah. This mystery yeah. guy who nobody ever heard of. So what did, what did he write about? Oh yeah. 1985 George Plimpton tricked many readers when he ran a made up article about a rookie pitcher named Sid Finch who could throw a fastball over 160 miles an hour. Yep. Anyway, that one was, I remember reading that article and it was fascinating. I was like, dude, who's this Sid Finch guy? Yeah, anyway, you all, so, all of a sudden you're going, how do we get our eyes on this guy? Yeah, how do I get, you know, and he just, I mean, he went into detail. Like, yeah, he grew up on a farm, you know, out in the mm -hmm. middle of nowhere. And, you know, he's this tall, lanky guy and he throws balls. So, you know, there are some that are like, that's a kind of an entertaining version. But, uh, but as you said, I, I don't have as many women in my house as you do here, but even with my wife, like, you know, I already, I already get enough of really like, that's not yeah. funny. That's not funny. So now I'm going to put some elaborate prank. Like I got traded somewhere. Well, and then, yeah. You know, we know that our clubhouse humor doesn't play in our household. So it's, it, it takes huh. some of the fun out of it. So we know that on this podcast and you're reminding me <laughs> and I still use it at the dinner table every night and I get the like, like really, really. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's what I have for what I'll Tuttle say. It is April Fool's Day. Happy April Fool's Day. And uh, mm -hmm. if you haven't read the article about Sid Finch back in 1985, George Plimpton, it's, it's fantastic. Worth it. It's good. It's worth reading. It's funny. Yeah. I guess now I, if you need spoiler to alert, yeah. Sid Finch wasn't a real player, but, uh, but anyway, I, I, I just wanted to bring that up on April Fool's Day, Blummer. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I, April Fool's Day doesn't play in my house, so I'm glad to hear it yeah. doesn't play in your house. Oh no, no. I, yeah, I tested that early, got burned, and I was like, okay, I'm done with that. I don't, I don't need that anymore. Um, you know what? For, for Blum's blasts, and I know Mark uh, has some, uh, maybe some graphics to throw up there for what Tuttle say, which would be awesome. And then Blum blast, we could just show somebody's dude's head blowing up. But my mind is blown, and the blast is on on you, Tuttle. I am putting oh. you under the under the microscope and yeah. applauding you because yeah. as excited about opening day as I am, March Madness has been so much fun. And I am so yeah. excited about the uh, final four because you got a little bit of the West Coast and you've got the third coast, you know, Baylor against UH, great matchup. And then you've got Gonzaga against, and this is where I'm giving you all the credit. Huh. Who did you have winning the play-in game? UCLA. Yeah, UCLA. Well, I had them winning two games. I didn't know. I thought they would beat Texas, not Abilene Christian. But man, no. I did not have them beating Michigan. So, and now they are in the Final Four. I mean, that the the Cinderella story is happening. And just yeah. on this podcast, if you're not listening, pay attention because Tuttle went <laughs> with the the money bet, and the money bet is now making even more money because it's in the Final Four. UCLA is the team that's in Final Four. Gonzaga is pretty damn good, and I expect the run to stop for UCLA. But up to this point, wow, Tuttle, yeah. you know, March Madness is yours. I know you're, you're usually in Vegas enjoying your time watching these games, but damn, dude, it has been a lot of fun for March Madness. But kudos to you for picking UCLA, man. Great call. Appreciate it. And you know what? I would have this year, especially in Vegas, I would have just bet them like those teams do where they bet them and then bet them again and then bet them again. Yeah, you, you would can just go round by that. round considering yeah, how far they get. Yeah, just, yeah, we'll just roll the money over, right? You know, if you bet And the money's, been, unit, on, the money's yeah. been on UCLA, right? Because of yeah, who they've been right. playing, except Abilene, that's Christian, whatever. But I right. mean, that last matchup against Michigan, you might have yeah. gotten paid off. 
Yeah, you would have got paid off. Well, especially if you want money line, but you know, take the points. What the heck? And I, mm-hmm. I, you know, as the further they get, the more you learn about them. But I really thought the highlights of Johnny Juzang uh, at Kentucky last year spoke volumes because we're like, who's yeah. this Juzang guy? And last year, Calipari had him as a freshman and that kind of Fab Five that he yep. always gets every year as a spot up shooter. And he grew up in Thousand Oaks, or he grew up, you know, about thirty minutes from UCLA. And he's like, it's you a know good what? Story. COVID, all this stuff. I want to go home. And he went home and he's not a spot up shooter anymore. I mean, watching him play that first half against Michigan. I mean, where's Bill Belichick when you need him? It's like, all right, don't let Juzang shoot. Like, let's put three right? guys on it. Like, because you're yelling at your TV. Like, if, you, if you're a Michigan <laughs> fan, you look at your coach and you go, look, Juwan Howard's a fantastic coach, but come on. Let's put five that, dudes that on That guy's him. killing and, us. <laughs> Yeah, that guy's pretty good. 18 points out of, like, the rest of the team was two for 18 on shooting. It was like 24 points in the first half, and he had 18 of them or something. Yeah, it was crazy. So, anyway, so, yeah, I mean, definitely riding UCLA. I've always said this about the brackets, though. They end up what you said. Like, so, remember, it was Gonzaga or Baylor or the field. And now we're Mm -hmm. looking at Gonzaga and Baylor playing each other. And I think that would be the best matchup of, you know, obviously, UH, they have a different – you know, in Houston, they would have a different, they would probably prefer Houston versus UCLA. That's more passion though. Winning it's not all. reality. Yeah. But man, tell me who's going to beat Gonzaga. And, and, oh. you know, we've seen bigger upsets and things like that, but boy. Hey dude. I mean, I, if you're, I was, if we're betting today, we got to take the Zags. Yeah. We got to take the Zags. And it's kind of funny because, you know, I text when I was watching Baylor play uh, to get into the final four, I texted a couple of buddies in town. I said, Baylor could beat the Rockets. <laughs> you know, and then I saw Gonzaga play, and I said, "Well, Gonzaga would beat Baylor and the Rockets." I mean, dude, yeah, there Gonzaga's go. pretty good, man. They're pretty good, and and you know what? They just don't. I mean, I've been listening to the talking heads, the pundits, but they just don't really have a weakness. And I think when mm-hmm. people are starting to realize, and we've said this on this podcast a million times, maybe related to other sports, pitching and defense win championships. And yes, their offense is great, but they had four steals. Like in the first ten minutes against, yeah. uh, uh, who did they play to get into the final four? Now I don't even remember. But uh, USC. Anyway, yeah, USC. I mean, they had four steals, and all of a sudden the game was like twenty to eight, and you're like, oh, yeah, there it is. Their defense is what's really showing up. Okay. And then I will use my analogy I said last time, so I sound like a broken record, but boy, you know, Baylor just reminds me of UNLV when they had like Larry Johnson yeah, and Stacey Ogman and those guys. Like it was like Baylor's like a bunch of grown men. So. Mm. I, I hope it comes down to that matchup, but I still see, like most people, I still see Gonzaga winning it. And Gonzaga, just to give myself a trapdoor here, this is the ultimate. Um, they would have to beat themselves, right? They're going to have to contribute to the loss. Yes, very much. If Gonzaga yeah. loses, it's going to be like, oh, somebody got injured or they shot, you know, 20% from the field. It's going to be something like that. Yeah. I agree. And I think everybody, you know, at uh, whoever's televising this CBS or whatever, definitely wants the Gonzaga Baylor. Cause of course you want to have one and two going into that uh, final game to create a lot more attention, a lot more viewership, but uh, great call by you. It's been a lot of fun and uh, you, it's interesting. You're wearing, you know, you got that military green shirt on, you've got the camo hat. And of course on bleacher blums, what we like to do at every, end of every episode is applaud those in military, both here and abroad who are protecting our borders, protecting our, our freedoms and allowing us to have such a fun time on this podcast and have all of our viewers and listeners be able to enjoy that as they're driving or at home watching as they barbecue with the family and uh, frontline workers, you're doing a hell of a job. Keep it up. 
uh, we're, we're heading in the right direction. Hopefully uh, some of this, uh, this workload is, is alleviating itself through vaccines and through immunity and things like that. And of course, all of those uh, essential workers that were out there in the front working through all of this, maintaining some kind of uh, normalcy and making sure we have the supplies to survive this pandemic that's going on. But it is opening day and opening week for baseball. And we're incredibly excited, but of course, Tuttle, we always leave Bleacher Blums with a couple more requests. Uh, two things, Blummer. Good luck tonight. Break a leg. Uh, I know Thank you're you. excited. Uh, Julia, TK, and you are on air. Woo! Opening day. I'm pumped for it. And uh, specifically to you, but all the listeners, uh, we encourage you folks to get after it and believe it.